Good morning, Colonial. This is Pastor Greg Eby, the campus pastor for the South Kansas City campus. And I'm so glad to have you join with us this morning. We're going to now turn to the Lyles to give us our scripture for today. I'm John Lyle. I'm Stacy Lyle. Fun fact, we're wearing pants today. And I've attended Colonial for 45 years, at least. And we were married at Colonial in 1995, and we have been... Um, Raising our kids at Colonial, and we're happy to be here today reading the scripture, John 12, 12 through 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, as we continue in our series of John today, we're covering, um, as the scripture read, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. You know, and as I look at this passage of scripture and we are talking about, you know, what is known as the triumphal entry, you know, in every movie you have a beginning, a climax and a conclusion. The beginning stages of the movie are the build up to the climax where all that you have thought in your mind would be in question. For example, in The Wizard of Oz, you have Dorothy who, because of a tornado, ends up um, in the land of Oz, but needs to go back home. And the answer that was presented to her was that you need to go to the wizard. You got to see the wizard of Oz and because he could, he could get you home. And she is journeying to the wizard of Oz and she comes across a scarecrow who needed some brains. And so she said, I know who can help you. I'm going to see the wizard. He's going to get me away home and I know he can get you some brains. And so she continues on her journey and she comes across a tin man who wishes he had a heart, and she lets him know, hey, uh, we're going to the wizard. Uh, he's going to find me a way home. He's going to find him a heart. He's going to find brains. I know he can help you. And as she is on her journey, she comes in contact with a lion who is a coward and is in dire need of some courage. And she tells him, I know who can help you. We're all going to the wizard, and he is going to have the scarecrows. going to give him brains. The tin man, he's going to give him a heart. He's going to get me away home. So I know he can give you some courage. And so after some trials, tribulations, after going through the struggles, they make it to the wizard, ready to get their brains, ready to get their courage, ready uh, to get the heart, ready to get that way back home. And the audience is excited. You've seen the movie. And what happens here, the problem has been solved, and then Toto pulls the curtain back. And the build-up to the most significant, magnificent moment is ruined. It's not a wizard at all. It's a man. But we've encountered so much trouble, all to be met with the fact that what the wizard was 
is a man. You see the air let out of the balloon. You see the hope that is lost. You see the situation went from bad to worse. What does he think he is? Perpetrating a wizard when he is only a man. Knowing this story, you can understand the perplexed situation the Pharisees were in. The place when Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey, having the disciples screaming, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The prophets prophesied about the king. And the expectation was of something that would be mind-blowing. Something that would be powerful to overthrow the Roman government. And as far as they were concerned, they pulled back the curtain and it was a fraud. This can't be the king. This, This is Joseph's son. This can't be the king. This is Mary's boy. This, this can't be the king. He's from Nazareth. Where's the pomp? Where's the grandeur? This can't be the king. Who, who does he think he is? See, up to this time, Jesus had not sought to be openly called Messiah. Um, and whenever he did miracles and signs, those affected would attribute it to the fact that he was the Messiah. But he had not sought to intentionally be called this openly until now. Now he allowed it. And not only did he allow it, he encouraged it. Everything he did over the next few days was designed to call attention to the fact that he is the Messiah. And it begins with what we commonly know as the triumphal entry. Luke tells us the story and and describes the entry on the donkey and the fact that coats were laid in the streets. We get more detail of the story when we look at it at all the Gospels. John in chapter 12 verse 13 lets us know that the branches from trees, specifically palm trees, were waved in this messianic processional, in this parade for Jesus Christ. It says that in verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming in Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is why they call it Palm Sunday. And as Jesus and his disciples make this entrance, there are three main principles I want us to learn about following this king. We will see that following this king means submitting to his direction. Um, Following this king means singing of his power. Following this king means you may invite yourselves to meet his adversaries. First thing we want to talk about today is we see God's promises when we submit to God's direction. Again, we see God's promises when we submit to God's direction. John chapter 12 verse 14 says it like this, And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just that it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on the donkey, coat, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Luke kind of gives us a little more detail and kind of shapes the picture for us a little more um, about this account with Jesus and a donkey. In Luke chapter 19, verse 29 through 32, we see this other aspect of this same story. It says, when he drew near to Bethpage and, and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, He sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. 
Untie it, bring it here, and anyone ask you, why are you untying it? You shall say to them, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he told them. Get this picture, okay? He's in Jericho. Now he's leaving, headed for Jerusalem. And Jesus stops the caravan and says, yeah, I need you to go get a colt. Which in the New Testament times was the name for a young, do- young donkey. He says, I need you to go get this donkey and bring it here. By the way, uh, it belongs to somebody else. If you're not careful, you might roll right through that statement. But put yourself in the disciples' shoes. At this moment, they're in a fix. They have a decision to make. Do we listen to Jesus and go do what he asks? Do we listen to him and go do what he says? Following his direction is going to put us in a pretty uncomfortable position. Do we question Jesus or do we trust this man who has proven himself to be the son of God over and over again in our presence and walk in his confidence? The disciples' response shows us that submitting to God's direction takes faith. They had to go. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They had to start walking, get this, they had to start walking toward this donkey as if God had already provided it for them. They had to move as if they knew Jesus' word was true. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, not figured out. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, not worked out, hoped for, not trying to think it through. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things you have not even seen yet. If you have to see it first, then it's not faith. Too often we miss out on the blessing and promises of God because we can't see the possibilities. Therefore, it must not be possible. They had to go before they saw the donkey. They had to go before they had permission from the owner to take it. They had to step out on faith and trust that God's word was true. The disciples' response shows us submitting to God's direction takes obedience. They had to do it. Jesus gave instructions. They could have had faith um, that what Jesus says was true, yet just not follow through on what Jesus had them to do. So they had to obey it, then do what he said. And James chapter 1.22 tells us, but be ye doers of the word. And not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because again, too often we can miss out on the promises of God because we simply do not do what he says. We disobey. We don't follow his instructions. Then we end up in a mess and we cry out to the Lord, why? Why did you let this happen to me? When a simple disobedience to scripture will show us. That obedience would have saved us from the world of trouble that we found ourselves in. We have to know that whatever you're encountering, whatever you're questioning, you have, you can find the answer in the word of God. The question is, when you hear it, will you do what it says? They had to have faith, but they also had to be obedient and follow through on what he asked them to do. The disciples' response shows us that submitting to God's direction takes courage. They had to ask this owner, 
You can have faith that God will come through. You can be obedient and move toward his direction. But then you have to have courage to execute what God has asked you to do. So you can imagine the thoughts that were going through their heads when they thought about what they were being asked to do. This man is going to think we are crazy. What if he says no? Even worse, what if he calls security on us? Listen to this. We can be so afraid of what might happen that we miss out on what could happen. I'm going to say that again. We can be so afraid of what might happen that we miss out on what could happen. Fear could be blocking you from your next opportunity. Fear could be blocking your next open door. Fear could be blocking your next move. The question you have to ask is when God says go tell the man to give me the donkey, will you follow through on what he says? Or will you miss out on his promises because you can't prove it? Or you can't see it? Or it looks impossible. Now let's take a flip and look on the other side. Put yourself in the donkey owner's shoes. Here comes this gruesome twosome, two disciples, and they say, The Lord has need of this donkey. Then they took it to Jesus. And there's no pushback. Donkeys were prized possessions. They were means of transportation. They were beasts of burden. They pulled the farmer's plow. They did so many strenuous things that a man could not do himself. So this donkey was a very valuable possession. Yet Jesus says, tell the man the Lord needs it. Get this. In the Luke portrayal of the same scene, it says in verse 32 of Luke chapter 19, So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the coat, its owner says to them, why are you untying the coat? They see the donkey, and they just start untying it. Part of me wants to believe the disciples were like, there it is, let's get it before somebody sees us. <laughs> I mean, Jesus did say, if someone asks, so if no one asks, then we're getting out of here. So the owner comes up and asks, why are you untying my coat? And they take a deep breath and they say, because the Lord has need of it. And then they brace for impact. <laughs> when the owner hears this, he gave it. He gave the beast. He, he gave the best. He gave the most important thing he had to give. Now that is the most important question that we need to ask ourselves. What is the most important thing in your life right now? Is it your money? Is it your house? Is it your car or something else? Your answer will tell a whole lot about yourself. Ask yourself, if Jesus came by today and said, I have need of that, whatever it is, would you be able to give it up? Would you surrender it to him as this owner surrendered this donkey? How would we respond? You know, I got a feeling you know us. Yeah, you can take the donkey, but you better bring it back with a full tank and it only uses high octane donkey fuel. We'd be upset. <laughs> But if God has need of your resources, how much opposition will you or will you have to put up? What you have to remember is it's not your stuff. So if the Lord is calling for you to give up your resources, all he is doing is asking you to give back what he let you borrow in the first place. He is asking us to submit to his, his direction so he can bless us with his promises. All I have is God's. 
So if he wants it, he can use it however he pleases. Because if he takes it, he can replace it any way he pleases. So what we've learned so far, we see God's promises by following God's direction. Secondly, we serve God's purpose by singing of God's power. I love this. We serve God's purpose by singing of God's power. I'm a musician and my family's a musical family. And so this kind of draws close to my heart. In verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 13, it says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And then it goes on in verse 17 of that ch- chapter 12 and says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. So Jesus, he has this crowd with him already that are shouting praises. And then there is a crowd apparently that is coming out of the city to meet him. coming in the, And they begin shouting also, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Luke adds that at the end of that they would say peace in heaven and glory in the highest. What they are quoting is Zechariah chapter 9. In verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the fowl of a donkey? We usually think of a donkey um, as a lowly animal, but in the east, it was considered very noble. Kings, princes, judges rode upon donkeys. In the ancient Near East, If a king came in peace, he would ride on a donkey instead of a war stallion. A king rode upon a horse when he was set on war, but he rode on a donkey when he came in peace. The passage here in Zechariah is a prophetic passage telling of the coming of the king, not just any king, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His riding on the donkey was a symbol of peace and a symbol of power. Riding on a donkey did not minimize his kingship. It represented power under control. It did not minimize his kingship. It recognized and represented power under control. Zechariah said that the king would be gentle and riding upon a donkey. And Jesus deliberately fulfilled that prophecy to call attention to the fact that he comes not as a war maker, but a peacemaker. He comes into the world to bring gentleness. He comes into the world to bring love. He comes into the world to bring peace. So they see Jesus fulfill the prophecy and they attach that to what they said and what they had seen. Then the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for the signs they had seen. The word sign in that passage literally means miracle or display of power. You see, it was, ju- it was just a setup. The road uh, a little way up um, where Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. So you know the story. Mary Martha's um, brother died and Jesus shows up and tells Lazarus to come forth and he walks out of the tomb. The uh, text says, many saw these signs and believed, but some of them went to the Pharisees to tell them what had happened. And it upset the religious leaders so much that it actually put into motion all that was about to take place that eventually led to Jesus being nailed to a cross. Their anger and what Jesus did drove him to seek to kill Jesus. So this, this display of power, it was so amazing, it was undeniable. 
For those who don't believe, it's a problem. For those who do believe, it's encouragement and it's power. That scene Jesus revealed as the Son of God through his ability to accomplish the supernatural, and it caused them to sing of his goodness. It caused them to sing of his greatness. It caused them to sing of his power. It caused them to sing of his kingdom. It caused them to sing out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is important. Because if you're going to be used by God, you have to trust in the power of God. And a great way to be reminded of the power of God is to sing about the power of God. And I found that as I am serving in the road gets hard sometimes, it helps and it heals to be able to sing out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. It helps to sing peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It helps to have a song in your heart that reminds you of the power and heart of God. You need a song. To sing of the power of God in your heart. If you're you're going to serve his purpose, it helps to have that song. I'm sure that's why Isaac Watts had in his mind when he penned this famous hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt all my pride. Where the whole realm of nature mine, that were present, far too small. Love so amazing, so so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What have we learned today? We learned that we see God's promises by following God's direction. We've learned that we serve God's purpose by singing with God's power. Finally, and thirdly, when we speak of God's goodness... We invite God's adversaries. I know you didn't wake up this morning to to hear that, but when we seek and speak of God's goodness, we invite God's adversaries. John chapter 12, verse 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. In the Luke account, it says in uh, Luke 19.39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the rocks will cry out. The whole crowd of disciples are singing praises. And in the same crowd are Pharisees. And remember, the Pharisees are those who, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, said they had to put an end to his influence. John chapter 11, verse 47 through 53 uh, says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who scattered abroad. So from that day on they made plans to put him to death Caiaphas thought he was putting a hit out on Jesus when he was actually prophesying about what God had planned all along (laughs) I don't know if you got that 
What I love about this is that even those who desire to go against God's will end up being used to fulfill his will. Those who desire to break down God's progress end up lifting up his purpose. Let me say that again. Those who desire to break down God's progress end up lifting up his purpose. So, so now these Pharisees are in the crowd with these uh, excited disciples who are shouting Zechariah 9 and 9. And this passage is a prophetic messianic passage, which means to shout this is to say you believe this is the Messiah. You believe this is the one who was promised in the Old Testament to come and save the world from the enemy. And Jesus and the Pharisees have been at it back and forth. So for them, the curtain was pulled back and it was a man. The Pharisees saw the curtain pulled back and it wasn't the wizard. It was a man. There was no way they could accept this be the man, the son of God. They're telling them to shut up. Tell them to be quiet, the Pharisees told the disciples, told Jesus to tell his disciples. You're blaspheming by letting them claim you're the Messiah. These angry Pharisees are right next to those who are full of zeal for the possibilities. Right in the same section, you have those who are cheering on the praises of the Messiah in the same crowd. Seas of discord trying to shut it down. Satan knows how to plant seeds of discord in places where there are willing workers. Because he knows a few foul attitudes can start a revolution. Which we know will eventually happen as the Pharisees keep it up until the cross is inevitable. Know this. When you decide to be used by God to proclaim his goodness, the world will try to shut you up. We have so many examples of this in our world today. Telling us to stop proclaiming the message of Christ. Stop shouting the power of God. Stop preaching there is only one way. That's how the Ten Commandments were put out of the government halls. That's how they were able to take public prayer out of the schools. That's why they were attempting to take God we trust off of money. That's why they were a group of people trying to take God out of the national anthem. And understand this. They're okay with you saying God. It's, it's the exclusivity that the world has a problem with. Now, there's this belief called pantheism, which believes that nature is God. They believe that the universe or nature as the totality of everything is identical with divinity or that everything encompasses an all-encompassing God. But in Luke's account of the triumphal entry, Jesus disposes that myth by saying the rocks can't be God because in the absence of the disciples speaking out, they will praise the true God. And throughout the Bible, we are taught about how nature testifies to its creator. Jesus says the rocks will tell you that they can't be God because they praise the true God. Isaiah 55 and 12 tells us the mountains and the hills can't be God because they will burst into song for the true God. The trees will tell you they can't be God because they are clapping their hands for the true God. Psalms 19, 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The world may tell me to shut up. The world may try to hinder my proclamation, but Jesus says, don't worry, because God has an awesome backup plan. (laughs) If you decide to close your mouth, God says, I got an awesome backup plan. You know, a few years ago, <clears throat> the Super Bowl champs were the Philadelphia Eagles. And they started the year hot. 
and had one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL, then the unlikely happened. Uh, the starting quarterback got a season and an injury, but there's something in sports called second string. And the second string behind the starting quarterback was sitting on the bench, waiting his chance. He was a horse, waiting to be let out of the gate. He came in the second string, and he said, don't worry. I've been waiting for this chance. And, and he came in and led the Eagles to beat the favorite Patriots to win the Super Bowl. The first string couldn't do it, but they had an awesome second string that was waiting to get the job done. You see, man? Man is God's crowning glory of creation. Man is God's best work. Man is God's first string. But man is not all of creation. There's a second string that is waiting to come in the game. There's a second string waiting to shout the praises of God. There's a second string waiting to raise their hands. And if we don't do it, Jesus says, if these disciples get quiet, I'll just send in the second string. (laughs) And the rocks will shout. If you don't do it, the trees will show you how to do it. The mountains will show you how to do it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose my starting spot. So I declare to praise him my whole life. I don't want to be replaced. I don't want rocks to cry out for me. When I think about the king of kings, when I think about the Lord of lords, I don't need the second string. Dorothy pulled back the curtain and was disappointed because it was a man. But as my father would say, early one Sunday morning, they pulled back the curtain. They rolled the stone away, and there was no one there. The king who rolled in on the donkey proved to be the Messiah because he had risen. He proved to be all-powerful, but showed he could display power under control. And that's an example for us to follow. As we listen to the words of John, I want to end by telling you they. That's something to shout about. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for this word. We thank you, Father, for this example of power under control through this story of the triumphant entry. And we thank you that Jesus um, is still the King of kings and Lord of lords, no matter what's going on in our world today. And we thank you, Father, that you give us an opportunity to organize and set our steps in the path through your word that is set before us. Help us not to fear, but walk in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.